Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off of the Rotten Horror, damn it, Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best <laughs> Horror Movies of All Time list. Nice. I'm never, I'm never going to nail it. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And today we have a question for everyone, which is, do you like scary movies? <laughs> so bad. Thanks. It's really, it's really the core uh, uh, question, the designing principle of this show, I guess. So it's appropriate that we have finally reached uh, 1996's Scream, the Wes Craven classic, mm-hmm. which is number 175 on our list with uh, wow. 79%. Yeah, it's pretty low. It's pretty low in rating oh. and in percentage, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. We're, we uh, we actually uh, recorded this episode a while ago with, with Wes from the Penske Files, so we're going to give you the little intro here, and then we're going to uh, drop you into that conversation. But um, had you seen this before? I'm going to assume you had, because... Yes. Yes. Everybody's seen this one. <laughs> yes. I was a kid in the 90s. Yes. I have seen this. Yes. Growing up around the same time, I think we both crossed this movie's path around the same time. Probably. Um. Had you wa- had you watched it recently? I mean, I know uh, I, ca- I I don't exactly remember what the timeline is for when we talk about it, but had hmm. you watched it recently since uh, before we watched it this time? I it didn't make don't any sense. I think so. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I I don't I don't think so. I think this is one that was like I I saw it a bunch. I think I even had it on like VHS. Mm, yeah, me too. Um, yeah, when I was like, you know like 10 years old or something so i think this was like a very early horror movie for me mm-hmm. that i watched a lot when i was younger and then not at all like post high school yeah i had the same way i i also owned it on vhs and i loved this movie i, I watched it a lot um oddly enough I, i'm actually really looking forward to eventually doing scream 2 because mm. in the years since that's come out scream 2 has become this like the marker of a of a uh excellent sequel and Scream really? Two never really stuck with me, um, so I'll be curious yeah, to go I back really and watch that. I don't really recall much about it. Yeah, but um, yeah, Scream I had on VHS, and uh, I actually when I when I would go to sleep, I still now when I go to sleep, I usually have a podcast or something going that I can just kind of sort of a white noise thing. I used to mm-hmm. put on movies, and I would dial down the brightness on my television so I could keep the TV on, but it wouldn't be bright. But I could play a, a VHS tape. Wow. I tried to do that once with Scream and I couldn't do it because I was trying to fall asleep and the opening scene scared me so much. <laughs> even oh. though even though I'd seen it like four or five times at that point. I just that guy talking and everything, I was like, I don't think this is very relaxing. Probably not yeah. the best movie for this. Sign of a good good scary movie though. I know, I know, definitely. But uh, um we're gonna take a quick break, play the trailer, and we will be back to talk about Scream. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. (laughs) I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? I'll do some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. 
It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say I'll be right back. Cause you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You didn't make the rules. The police are always on track. If they watch prom night, it's safe time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. All right, Scream, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy, Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, and Principal Principal Arthur Fonzarelli. In his class, everyone gets an A. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Amanda, what happens in Scream? Uh, I will preface this by saying this is probably my least favorite written of one of these blurbs that Ooh, I use. I'm excited. I is don't it, I don't like it. Is it better than the one for society which was like young boy realizes his parents are wrong? It's it's better and worse. Let me let me read it. You'll see okay. what I mean. Wes Craven reinvented and revitalized the slasher horror genre with this modern horror classic which manages to be funny, clever, and scary as a fright masked knife maniac stalks high school students in middle-class suburbia. Craven is happy to provide both tension and self-parody as the body count mounts, but the victims aren't always the ones you'd expect. Do you you want to go through the whole movie while you're there? I I know, that's why I... It's just like, isn't Wes Craven brilliant? Yeah, that's that, wow. That that's was that probably, old blurb. I'm sorry, everyone. That might be the longest one we've ever done. That's interesting. I should have just written my own. <laughs> no, it's fine. It makes my life easier when I have to do the write up. I just copy and paste that stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Clay, mm-hmm. would you like to hear about some things you can find in this movie? Always do. Uh, you will find budget Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Very cheap. Movie references. Mm-hmm. Aggressively 90s styling. Yeah, lots of big sweatshirts yeah, like, in this movie. It's it's extreme. It's it's so nineties. Uh, more movie references. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> One of like five different usages of Nick Cave's red right hand in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, it's like I don't. That must Everywhere. have been the year it came out or something because it was in like three or four different movies. Uh, movie references. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> and of course questionable parenting yeah big questionable parenting on this one yeah lots of it uh so yeah so we will uh we will cut out here and the next thing you'll hear is the conversation that amanda and i had with wes about scream and we'll be back to uh to kind of round it out for you guys 
Hey everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood celebrities. We're continuing our coverage of Wes Craven with his B-roll. You guys were Craven more Craven, and here we are to talk about Scream. Uh, this, <laughs> this, is, this is a podcast where we use Rotten Tomatoes to look at the high and the low of someone's filmography. And right now we're doing the B-roll, though, which is where we choose neither the high nor the low. We go with something that we think is more appropriate, something that we pick, something hand-picked, handcrafted, I guess you could say. My name is Wes. I'm joined by Clay and Amanda. Guys, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Amanda and Wes? <laughs> I'm pretty good. We're good, all, to, good to talk to you guys. We're all ready to go. Um, we watch Scream. I'm looking forward to talking about a universe where the school bus drops you off at your house. <laughs> Did you guys... I, I was re- listening to a podcast where... They were going off on uh, what's her name here? I can't think of the bird. The Nev, the, Nev the, Campbell, uh, Casey, Casey, Casey. Oh, Casey. Oh, the main, the, fir- the main character of the movie. The first one. There's a, pod- no. a podcast I was listening to, just going off Wait. on her for riding the bus as a, a whatever she is, a junior but, or something. Oh, you're, you must, you mean Sydney? Sydney, Sydney. Who am I talking? Casey's yes. the uh, Reese. No, what the hell is going on? The, the, Wes did Drew watch Barrymore. the movie. <laughs> Drew, Drew Barrymore, not Reese Witherspoon. Drew Barrymore is Casey Becker, so it's Sydney. Did you know that Reese Witherspoon is in this movie? <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Did you guys ride the bus for high school? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, until I got a car. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My high school didn't have a bus. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Budget cuts at the state level. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I rode the uh, I rode the bus until uh, a car became appropriate. But I I don't know I don't know if they say they're seniors or something in this. But I don't know. I just thought I thought they yeah, were being why, incredibly harsh towards the bus riding. Why Why were they going off on her about the bus? I don't know. Just I guess this must have been a real upper crust bunch of one percenters here who just don't ride was, the bus. Yeah, there are so many other things you could go off on her about <laughs> in this movie. Why Why pick the bus riding? How How much more upper crust can you be than? everybody in this movie i know she's her her father has her father's like a mechanic he dresses like a mechanic he lives in a beautiful palatial estate everybody yes everybody lives in a palatial estate and that house at the end i know we're getting ahead of ourselves is one of the biggest most beautiful houses i've ever seen yeah it's apparently a real house too that's like they didn't really do much with it i think you can even rent it on airbnb oh really I, I, i think so i could be wrong don't quote me but this um I find this movie distractingly '90s in a lot of ways. Yeah, like I find I find it hard to differentiate the fact that it's a '90s, like a super '90s movie, with what's intentional for style. Does that make sense? Like it's so it's so '90s that I'm like, is this intentional or is this just a byproduct of the era? Yeah, it sort of um, it, all of this stuff kind of happened very similarly similarly <laughs> around the same time where as i was watching this i was thinking to myself this is like a horror version of clerks essentially where but it's not quite as uh you know um the dialogue isn't quite as on the nose it's pretty close but um i think this style of dialogue doesn't age super well because for some reason in the mid 90s it was like the first time People thought it was people decided it was okay to talk about pop culture in like a long as in a movie as though mm-hmm. it existed out in the world of the movie and not just outside the world of the movie in a meta way. Yes. Yeah, being yeah. meta, yeah, being meta about things. And it was all over the place. I and I remember, I remember, I loved Mallrats mm-hmm. uh, more than Clark's because I was a huge comic book nerd, and they were just the whole movie's them talking about comics. 
I tried to watch that re- recently, and I had to shut it off after about ten minutes because I just was cringing the entire time. <laughs> Mallrats is really bad, though. We'll have, we'll have to do Kevin Smith at some point because I think like the 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 chasm between his good and his bad stuff is so like remarkable to me. But that, that's another thing for another point. Yeah, I just um. Between like the actors like Nev Campbell from Party of Five, we've got Drew, <laughs> Drew Barrymore, Courtney Cox, Monica's here being scary. We've got David Arquette before he was married to Courtney Cox. Um, yeah, it's very just the the way that it looks. I find it almost like distracting, and it has that like the, like there was a certain way of when they filmed groups of teens in the nineties. They all look like this. Like this is just like how you shoot a group of teens in the nineties or whatever these people are supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. I just I I, I find it distracting almost in some ways like it has nothing to do with the movie it's just it feels like if craven's trying to get like the tropes of the slasher thing down it bleeds so perfectly into the 90s vibe that it's really hard for me to distinguish between the two and i i almost see it as more of um like a relic than an actual sort of like um influential turning point in horror movies like it feels it feels extremely old at this point um just because of like Nightmare feels newer in some ways. Like it doesn't feel like as dated as Nightmare somehow because of the uh, the stylistic choices that I went with and the actors and all that stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, but I think in a lot of ways that's a symptom of trying to make something that feels extremely modern in its time where the people who watched this when it came out in what was it 1996? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see that in 1996, it feels very modern. It feels very like trendy and and on trend. And so I I can see how in the moment it must have felt like, wow, yeah, this is really capturing the youth. And now, you know, God, 20 years later, it's just like, yeah, a relic. It feels very, very old. Did you guys well, like was, this? Did you guys? Uh, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Clay. But did, my point, like, did you guys enjoy this movie? Just so we can be upfront about it, or like, do you I think did. this is a good movie? Yeah, I, I still, I still really enjoy this movie. Hmm. Um, again, again, I think the, be- I think the beginning still works pretty well, uh, mm-hmm. despite its um, dated dialogue and 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 uh, self. It's not even. It's not self-referential. I guess it's kind of self-referential. But uh, I was just going to say that that datedness is kind of by design Hmm. um i was i was watching a documentary about the making of it and they mentioned how kevin williamson specifically wanted it to feel of the moment and not feel he wasn't going for timeless he was going for very much this is a movie of the time that it's being put out so that it's that you're probably right that it is it does feel more dated than um a nightmare in a lot of ways because if you if you look at nightmare the the style and like um of the world doesn't feel particularly like 1984 it just feels kind of like general yeah uh it's fairly bland Mm -hmm. whereas this yeah this is very much rooted in 1995 96 um so i guess you're kind of i guess you're kind of he kind of decided to go in one direction versus the other and, and, and take with it the, the pros and cons of that decision. Hmm. Yeah. But I I actually, sorry, I just piggybacking off of what Clay said. I kind of like that because to answer your question a second ago, Wes, if I like the movie or not, I like every, everything of the movie except the scenes that Billy is in (laughs) until (laughs) Billy is revealed to be the killer. Mm -hmm. 
We can get more into that later. Do you, did, <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off. Mm. Uh, there's a, 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 a bit of foreshadowing that I never caught. The Don't Fear this, the Reaper? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I notice it until this time. Because I, I, I was, I was, it's such a different version of the song. It's like an acoustic version of Don't Fear the yeah. Reaper. And I was sitting there. I was like, what is this song? What is this? Like, oh, it's Don't Fear the Reaper. I was like, what yeah. foreshadowing? Yeah. 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 Their romantic moment. Very clever. Um, but, but talking about the intentionally dated aesthetic of that movie i kind of liked it because in a lot of ways like I, I was really young i saw this pretty close to when it came out which would have put me at about eight or nine years old um so it was actually one of the first horror movies i ever saw and welcome to the jungle i know <laughs> um but something that's kind of great about the fact that it is so specific to its time i don't think i've rewatched it since i was really young mm. And rewatching it now, I remembered so much of my feelings then and the feelings I had about that movie and the different beats and the moments and the reveals and the various twists that I actually kind of liked the fact that it was so dated. It made it so specific that it really like conjured up that that time for me, at least. They, uh Matt Lillard, I mentioned what, if you guys liked it because Matt Lillard had a funny quote about it uh, that I thought was like, I didn't realize until he said it that I, I think I kind of agree with. He says the first 10 minutes in the last half hour are great and the middle is a slog. Mm-hmm. That was basically his um his description of it. <laughs> and yeah, I don't I don't think I necessarily disagree with that. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a slog, but it's they had to they insert the principal killing because there was no killing in the original script yeah, that like which for I, a long I did, time, yeah. I looked it up and I did I did read that because watching it through this time I was going, why the hell does he kill the principal? Yeah. <laughs> It apparently fixed a, it fixed a script problem though because yeah. they couldn't figure mm. out why to get rid of the kids at the end. The kids who aren't oh. part of the story, they have to have the re- they they run off when they hear that the principal's been murdered, and that's they they needed to clear the house and they couldn't think of a reason why, but it worked in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I uh, one one of the things that I've always kind of th- there's there's a few movies from that I saw from around this time, so I would have been like ten or so uh, that I think were a little or 10 or 11 that were a little bit above my pay grade as far as like the plot goes <laughs> your pay grade as an 11 year old yeah my pay grade as an 11 year old um and it and it's i very clearly remember them being this one and mission impossible the first mission impossible <laughs> which i don't know if you if you watch that movie now i still i don't think i could tell you what happens in that movie or what the plot is no it's super but, complicated yeah yeah All of those are this one is less complicated but i still remember like not totally shaking out exactly what was happening mm-hmm. um because i feel i don't know how you guys feel about this but it, i it feels like to use a wrestling term that the 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 story's a little overbooked um <laughs> in that when they finally lay out what the plot is it's really really a lot of backflipping going on uh like the whole cotton weary thing that whole plot line feels sort of I don't know. It just it just feels like there's a lot going on that takes a lot of explanation. Why that. Why does Liv Schreiber play that cotton guy? I can tell you. I can actually tell you that. I, <laughs> I know why that is. Uh, because he had done a movie uh, with Dimension called Phantoms, uh, in which Affleck is, of course, the bomb. And uh, he was friends with uh, one of the producers or something. And the producer is like, we need someone to play this five second scene can you do me a solid and just come over and hang out for the day? And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Cause he's, he's only in that footage, like the reporter footage, I think, right. That's the only time you ever see him. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like that's so. that whole thing. Uh, even at, when I was watching it at the time, I kept thinking, oh, well, they show this guy's face. He must be coming back in some capacity. Well, doesn't he show up in, in the sequel? He does. He does. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it always stood that element always stood out to me as kind of strange that that they sort of lay him out as a red herring, but they never really do anything to bolster that. Um, yeah, it just it's there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff, s- plot stuff, trying to support what is more or less a pretty straightforward slasher yeah. story. I yeah. mean, Dewey, Dewey and um, Gale, I think, are somewhat unnecessary characters, really. Um, and the, they, they have a lot of screen time between them. So, like, David Arquette and Courtney Cox's characters are, they're, they're functional and they're involved in the, in the plot. But it's, um, it, it's almost like superfluous information that Gail provides really about everything. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. this kind of sets the stage for the reveal of like the mother and everything like that. But they, there are a lot of characters who end up just being uh murder bait, I suppose, by the end of it, which is fitting of the, the movie. And it's kind yeah. of that tropiness, but I don't think it really well, drives the narrative in the middle of the, the thing. They're murder bait, but none of them get killed. Like, I, I would disagree. I like, think the friend, the friend is, I guess, yeah, who I like was thinking. Tatum, yeah. of of Tatum. all of her friends, only one of them gets killed. Mm-hmm. But I think the the point of having uh, that many characters around is is it it places a lot of different people right. who are red herrings about who's the killer. Yeah, yeah, um, and at least they get hurt because yeah, yeah. You know, it, there's nothing there's nothing worse than having a bunch of characters like that, and then they just kind of get off scot free. Everybody everybody gets it a little bit. The um, the opening is still iconic. I think the opening is yeah. the best part of the movie. There's one. Oh, yeah, it there's, is. there's one yeah. section actually later that I really like. I'll just say now is the um, when uh, they're at the party and Ghostface sneaks up on uh, Jamie Kennedy, who's watching yes. the thing, watching the movie, oh, saying like, yes. "Look behind you." But then that's yes. good enough. But then it cuts to the surveillance van, and they're watching uh-huh. it, going like, "Look behind you." So it's <laughs> well, just, it actually that's it works on it works too. on an even a third level. Because what he's saying is, Jamie, look behind you. Oh, Jamie, really? look behind you. And oh, I never put that together. Yeah. He was like, oh, he's he's essentially talking to his own character in the movie <laughs> that he's currently in. Yeah. So this is like, when they did that, that must have been like a meta explosion. Yeah, I, I like that moment. But other than that, the, um, the intro is really what I think holds up well uh, across everything else. I think that they, it, you know, it was kind of tricky at the, that point where they cast Drew Barrymore and she's the lead. She's prominent on the poster and then they kill mm. her off in the first uh, 10 minutes or whatever. And I think they do a good job of, um, they balance, it, it's probably the closest that the movie gets, I think, to balancing the comedy, satire, and the horror aspect of it because mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's legitimately scary and her body hanging from the tree is probably like the most frightening thing that happens in it, yeah. I guess. But they also mm-hmm. do a good job of really setting the stage of the repeated runner joke that people can just beat up Ghostface as he's chasing them. Yeah. Uh, yes. and, and I like that and I think it's clever and I, I think that it... It works well. I, I even don't mind the dialogue that uh, you were mentioning, Clay. I think that it works pretty well in like the way that the script is trying to be that sort of meta thing. But I, I think the opening works almost as a short as to what this movie is supposed to be. And I think it's effective at it. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. 
I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Mm, no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? Yeah, I actually, I, I like how it also, going back to uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, it sort of echoes uh, Tina's killing at the beginning yeah. of that movie, mm-hmm. where you, you start with this, you know, cute, blonde girl with a bob who is sort of having, you know, her boyfriend's there, her boyfriend's not there, like, and and you think she's going to be the main character, and then she's very brutally murdered in front of you, and the whole narrative has to pivot to focus around somebody different. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street parallels in this, I think. Um <laughs> like the not janitor just, not just Craven dressing up like yes. uh, Freddy Krueger, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh well, I mean, you know, you've got uh uh dollar store Johnny Depp Skeet Ulrich crawling yeah. in through his girlfriend's window. <laughs> Who whose last name in this movie is Loomis. Yep. Yeah. Which is the psychologist in oh, yeah. Halloween? Uh, oh, Dr. Yeah, Loomis right. from yes. Halloween. And he, yeah. that which actually it also comes from originally from Psycho. Because oh. uh, the character of the, the brother of the girl, who one of the girls who gets killed, I think is his last name is Loomis. Yeah. Ah. It's actually, I believe it's actually Sam Loomis, which is, I think, the Donald Pleasance's character in Halloween. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. Um, like she. Uh, when Drew Barrymore's parents come home, the father says, mm-hmm. uh, go run to the McKenzie's and call yep. the cops, which is exactly what Jamie Lee Curtis says to the kids to do in Halloween. Oh, nice. So there's a lot of like, <laughs> oh, my favorite one, another one which I didn't notice until this time, Linda Blair is in this movie. Wait, where? Yeah. Linda Blair has a cameo as a news reporter. When Sydney comes to school, there's a <gasps> reporter who gets in her face oh, for half she, a second. Is she the one who yells, how did it feel to almost be butchered? The people have a right to know. That's it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and I, and I was like, is yeah. that Linda Blair? And she's wearing yes. cross earrings. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. That was, that's a good one. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the rotten tomato thing, right? Says it's a little too cheeky for some people. Mm-hmm. Is that's it? Fair. Do, you, do you guys think that's fair? I, I, I mean, I guess. It, is it too cute? Is this too cute I, of a movie? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I I would much rather watch this than I would than watch like Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, where the entire thing is a giant joke. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, like I think they're I think they're riding the line pretty adeptly. Uh, at did I use I use the, did I using that word? I think I did this yeah. the same time last episode. I don't know if I don't know words. <laughs> um, limited vocabulary. Where I think. There's a lot of funny stuff in it, but I don't think it's ever played as straight up. This is we're making a big, huge joke here. Mm. And uh, I guess as it was in production, a lot of people passed on it. They asked um, Sam Raimi and I think a couple other fairly famous horror directors to do it. And they all passed on it because they thought it was a comedy. Yeah. I'm surprised Sam Raimi didn't get the joke because he's kind of the master of the horror comedy. But uh, um, I think this is an instance of director casting working where it didn't work in vampire in brooklyn yeah because this was a a script that is on the page apparently very funny and then they got wes craven and said all right make a horror movie yeah and so they managed to blend it the right way that doesn't quite work in vampire in brooklyn i um yeah, go ahead go ahead 
Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say it, it, it's got that same 90s feel that something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer has, I, where everybody speaks in this very specific way. Like even the cheerleader talking to her friend in the bathroom while Sydney hides was, in the that stall. That was a performance. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's <laughs> like the, the, the character that would stereotypically be the blonde bimbo mm-hmm. cheerleader. And she's like, well, psychologically speaking, this is a deep level of trauma. So... And it's like, what? I, Nobody talks like that. I actually thought about halfway through this movie that I think Buffy probably got green lit because this movie did so oh, well. Oh, yeah. I think because so, too. Sydney, the way that she handles stuff, feels a lot like Buffy. The dialogue is not – it's not quite Joss Whedon dialogue, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, proto, it, proto Whedon. Yeah. And it has a lot of the same kind of vibe as, as Buffy the Vampire Slayer also had, which it was only, I think – Within a year or maybe uh, yeah, a year or two between this and Buffy. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were related. Yeah. I wonder, um, they sort of, uh, I, I guess, talking about, we can talk about performances, but uh, Matthew Lillard, to me, is funny in this in a way that, like, he, uh, the actors turn in performances sometimes that, like, borderline annoy me somehow like there's something something grating about the performance like he's too like grabby or too over the top or something but i don't think it's a bad performance on the other hand um Mm -hmm. and i think lillard Mm -hmm. does that he's kind of like that actor like that's his thing is to to sort of walk that line about being like too broad in what he's doing this is this is um benicio del toro in usual suspects level of turning a character (laughs) from nothing into something into into something yeah and he he sticks out and you know i think that the uh Acting wise, I think it's all kind of it's all kind of fine, I suppose. Like I, I, I don't I don't really say that I would enjoy this movie like on a repeated rewatch. It's funny because we I had watched it actually probably like a couple weeks ago, just um independently of this, and then I had to mm-hmm. rewatch it again mm-hmm. last night. And I well, I don't think it's a, a bad movie. I guess this is a good place as any. Like we haven't talked about um jump scares in movies, horror movies. Sure. Yeah. And I don't like jump scares. I think they're mm-hmm. kind of lazy. And I think that they are annoying in the fact that now they're so commonplace that most jump scares are just fake red herring jump scares that are yes. designed to yeah. get you. And Nightmare had a little bit of that. I don't think Vampire had much of it at all. But I think Craven like goes really f- hard on the jump scare aspect in this movie. And it's funny because I guess I guess how do you guys define a jump scare? Because I think that in all horror movies you're going to have something that's like a, a startling scare. But I think there's a difference between seeing something visually disturbing quickly and having just the the camera panning and then something out of screen just pops into screen and a loud noise plays and you're supposed to be like you're yeah. like you're building waiting for that moment you know it's coming and then it comes and it startles mm-hmm. you. Uh, but what yeah. do you guys think about jump scares? And I think that this movie leans way too heavily on jump scares, even though it's it's part of this genre. I don't think I really like that part of it. That's You know, it's interesting you should say that because I actually don't feel like there were that many jump scares in this. Hmm. I don't know if that's just me, maybe because I, I like I said, this is one of the first horror slasher movies I can remember ever having seen. So I think I have very vivid memories of it so maybe there was less of that anticipation there for me like i, I kind of knew when ghostface was going to show up yeah but um, and that, that kind of goes to my point though like a lot of it is built on you know something is going to happen yeah, like, right it's, it, it yeah it leans really heavily on the soundtrack yeah 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 uh, yeah I, I mean i i guess 
I, I, I guess I just, I can see it. The thing I think makes it pay off a little bit in this movie is the reveal that there are two killers. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of throughout the film being like, but how did, how did he do that? How did he get from point A to point B so fast to jump out in front of her and scare her? And I, I think having the payoff that it's two different guys actually makes those jump scares work a little bit more narratively, but that's just my, my take on it. Yeah. I, I think, I think where the jump scares work the least is in that middle of the movie. Cause it does feel like they're trying to keep things, you know, tense yeah. and jumpy. So that's when you get you get that scene where they attack Sydney at her house, which now that I'm thinking about it, why would they do that? If the if the if the whole point of the plot was to blame everything on her dad, why do they try to kill her at her own? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, I think part of it is they get off on scaring. Sure. Women. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that that sequence feels kind of weird because it does have that that jump at the end where uh, Billy kind of like jumps into frame yeah through the window sort of yeah i forgot Um, about that one they have one at the end where jamie kennedy pops into frame out of nowhere and he says a joke and then gets like stabbed or something like they i i i just think it's um it's a the only aspects of this movie that i would say are scary are the jump scares it's the only thing because i don't think ghostface is almost comical like he's not scary at all really kind of interestingly you know Mm. which is which is interesting to me because like by design, his look is, you know, dime store Halloween costume. Uh, literally, that's what it, that's what it yeah. was. They, yeah. they backed into the design because they found a dime store Halloween costume that they loved. I think they even say it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think you can make that. That's a fairly iconic look. And I think if they wanted to, they could have they could have made that thing a lot scarier, like visually scary. But yeah, it it is pretty much played as it seems to me watching it that even though the design of it is dollar store or dime store Halloween costume, they are so aware of that that they don't really like to give you a good look at what his deal is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of quickly moving past the camera, a lot of, mm. you know, face close-ups. I mean, the face is the whole thing, but um, the rest of him is just kind of like a phantom. But they don't really they don't really do a lot with shadows with him. Um, like, I, I, I found myself wishing that uh, the scene, that there was a scene, like, um, where the principal gets killed. He's got all the lights on. It's mm-hmm. not particularly a scary scene. It's no. just a lot of like, yeah, you're waiting for when's he going to show up or when is he not going to show up. And I was kind of waiting for a scene in the movie where they have like someone standing near a shadowed corner and like just the face comes into view or something, you know, something like a, a little, little bit, bit of more a visually a Halloween reference. Yeah. 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 Like something just a little bit more visually interesting. Um, but I think oh, another thing I did want to talk about was kind of go into that a little bit. Um, I think this movie is actually pretty uh, realistic looking, mm-hmm. like much more than Vampire in Brooklyn. We were talking about how Vampire in Brooklyn had this sort of like artificial sheen to it. It looked very slick. Yeah. I don't think this movie feels that way at all. No. And I think it really benefits because of it. Mm-hmm. The, I, the the ghost face thing, I understand like he's, they they don't stylize ghost face because he's supposed to be this sort of like realistic turn of these these kids are not like, uh, supernatural monsters really right. like it's just yeah. kids in a costume who are running after people stabbing and that's why they always get kicked down or trip or get kicked in right. the, the dick a hundred times in the movie and 
so the, like the 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 costume works on that level because it's just a kid wearing a costume who's chasing people around with a knife. Yeah. But if you if you remove that scary slasher element that even Kruger has, you're really left with just jump scares at that yeah. point. You don't have yeah. anything psychologically or like uh, hiding in the shadows or darkness or um mm. like you can't act like a uh supernatural force that comes out of nowhere. He 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 hides yeah. behind doors, you know, and he comes out from behind yeah. a door. Even- even in the final sequence at the party, that house has the lights on the entire time. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, no moment where like they cut the power to the house or something, and then it's you know Sydney fumbling around in the darkness trying to you know while Ghostface is was doing whatever. It's all very brightly lit, and I wonder, I, I wonder if that's also by design because it's you know the idea of having this horror in the bright light versus mm-hmm. keeping it to the shadows. Yeah, and I, yeah. I I think the appeal is more towards um, messing psychologically with the viewer rather mm-hmm. than the characters in the movie. Um, like, I actually think it's really, it says something that most of the characters beyond, you know, there's Sydney, Tatum, and Gail. Mm-hmm. And there are no other women, really. Yeah. And that leaves you with a very broad field of which of these dudes is the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and, and I would argue at other than Dewey. Because it takes a man <laughs> to do something like that. <laughs> but, but other than Dewey, at some point, aspersions are cast on every male character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, like Billy, uh, Stu. Jamie and Kennedy. Then Rant- yeah, yeah, Jamie Kennedy's What's character. What's his name? What's that character? Randy? Randy. I think Randy. it's Randy. Okay. Um, the dad. Sydney's dad. I've never bought the dad. I We can get into the, the red no, herrings in a minute, but finish what you're talking but about. But I think that the fact that the, the dad shows up very, very briefly at the beginning sure. and then disappears and they can't find him. Sure. And if you're watching this movie when it was made, part of you is going to be thinking, well, yeah, I mean, maybe it is the dad. Mm-hmm. Like, he did disappear. We don't know. Even the principal, at, at a point, you know, when he's berating the two kids who that's are my, also... That's one of my favorite scenes, I think. That, apparently, that's so good. Apparently not in the script. Like, that oh, scene really? is in the script, but Henry Winkler Waving doing him. that with he's the scissors so was, was... He did that on, <laughs> on by his, by himself. But 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 I, I'm so glad he did, because it gives you that moment of, wow, he seems really comfortable with that very sharp object. Yeah. So it's like every every man in the movie, for at least a split second when you're watching it, it runs through your head like, is it him? Or is it him? Or mm-hmm. is it him? So I, I think having, kind of back to something I think Wes said at the beginning of this, having that cast of, of characters that might seem superfluous kind of serves the purpose of scattering your attention as a yeah. viewer. Mm-hmm. Muddies the water. And exactly. You know, I think... I think the thing that made the story confusing to me when I was younger is sort of a, you know, a proto version of my my theory about environment when it comes to movies like this. Because, you know, as, as I said, you were talking about the father. I never thought the father was involved because I remember watching this when I was younger and completely forgetting that the father was even a character. Yeah. Because he's in it for half a second and then he's gone. And then at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, where's her dad? 
Oh yeah, we found his car. They have oh, that weird he that weird up. one scene in the police station where he's not staying at the hotel that he told her that he's staying at. Yeah, and then yeah. Randy has a line when they're in the video store where he's like just in passing mentions that they can't find her dad. Yep. And I think I think that's why it doesn't work for me because it does that thing that Star Trek does a lot and West that we talk about on Deep Space 9 where they're they're talking about a lot of stuff that you haven't actually been privy to. Yeah. Like you're not seeing it happen. They're just talking about it. So they're mm-hmm. talking about the dad who's not there, but they're only talking about him like very briefly. They're talking about all of this stuff with the mom, which is a character we don't know and have never met. We're talking about stuff with Billy's family, who are characters we've never met. And it's it's I it's a weird it it they're kind of it. You know what the the funny thing? This might kickstart you, but you know what the funny thing about the mother is? Like, I, th- this fits into your. Um, they're just doing a lot of referencing, right? So when they show mm-hmm. the the mother, and it, it cuts to the scene where she's at her Sydney's at her house, and they show the mother on the uh, the news, right? And they say a year ago this woman was killed and raped and killed mm-hmm. by this thing, and you go, oh, oh, it's like. Um, that must be Sydney's mother. She goes, the next scene is she sits down on the couch and picks up a picture of her and that woman from the news report standing together <laughs> just so that the movie can really hammer home. Yeah. This is the relationship because they haven't, they haven't, you haven't had a scene where those two actually exist with each other. They've only told yeah. you about it. So they need you to know that this is the relationship between the two of them. Yeah. It, it feels to me, I think when I was watching it when I was younger, it felt weird because that's, it, that's not what the movie felt like it was about. Yeah. It's about those teenage characters. And so having all of this superfluous stuff with the parents never really mm-hmm. felt genuine to me. It's yeah. all to provide motivation for Billy, right? That's, that's it. it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, but I, I actually, my, my big problem with it, because I, I also have a problem with it, I actually think it's, it's the weakest part of the movie, mm-hmm. is trying to kind of shoehorn in this this backstory i was i'm so much more into it when billy says it's more scary when there is yeah. no motive that that like, line and the line about uh movies don't create psychos movies make psychos more creative yes that's all you need yeah because he's a he's a disaffected white guy who seems yep. like he's not as rich as everybody else around him i could very easily see that being the driving motivator more so than his Mom leaving only four bathrooms in his house growing up. Yeah, only, only four, four bathrooms. <laughs> pathetic. Yeah. But and and I think that would tie because clearly what what this movie is is doing in a lot of different moments is tying itself to horror classics, sure. especially Halloween. Sure, like especially that 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 third act where they're you know after the house party where Halloween is on in the background mm-hmm. and they're even like Dewey is going through the house by himself with his gun drawn. And the lights are all out. That's like the one part where it's kind of dark. Um, and it, it co-opts it co-opts the uh, Halloween soundtrack. Yeah, and, they use the and, soundtrack from Halloween pretty well. Like entirely. Um, even, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's famous screams are, they become part of the scream soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I lost where I was going because I just got interrupted by a dog. <laughs> well, Billy, the the billion um, billions two were a conscious decision, I guess. There was some hemming and hawing about behind the scenes whether or not they wanted to give the killers motivations or not, and so mm-hmm. they split the difference by having Billy be motivated. And Stu just says he does it because of peer pressure. So it's like oh, basically a non-answer. Yeah, I would have liked it if if they were going to go that way. I would have liked it the other way around. 
You would have had Billy had be motivation, the... and Billy was peer pressured. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think Billy is clearly the driving force behind it. So and it couldn't, I, I couldn't be peer pressure. I mean, I think you'd have to give him a different motivation that could be yes. equally random. Yeah, yeah, it could be that he's just psychotic yeah, and just enjoys crazy. inflicting pain. Um, yeah. Can I ask? Can I ask a question? And this might be a weird question um, for me to ask to uh, heterosexual gentlemen. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> do you think Billy is supposed to be read as creepy for the whole movie, <laughs> or is he supposed to be charming at some point? Well, um, I don't know if this helps answer it. I don't know if it if it does or not. I was watching uh, I was watching a documentary, and they were talking to the casting director, who was hilarious. Uh, and her comment on casting uh, Skeet Ulrich was, I was doing the line reading in the audition, and I just thought to myself, he's so hot. <laughs> that was her entire comment. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, but there is something, I, I even think, in his gentle, quiet moments, there is something so genuinely unsettling about him. I think that's by design, because they... they they're playing do, up to that. Yeah, they're yeah, really going They do after such it. a good job of making it seem like it has to be Billy and then pulling that out from under you. And they do mm-hmm. it very well. That's like true. Like the, uh, uh, the, the, the first time when he gets arrested, that not yeah. going through because, I don't know, I forget what the technicality is. But, uh, his phone records are clean. Yeah, the yeah. phone records are clean. That the works two out of them. well. They're, they're, yeah, it's the decision to have two killers instead of one gives you a kind of, what's that, uh, Hitchcock story dial M for murder is that where you, the, sure. or the perfect mm-hmm. murder right whether you you each do a crime that the other one can't be connected to and it's random so it, it fits right you right and uh, uh, the second one which I think is brilliant is when they fake kill him yeah I thought I've, that's a, that was that's really good I think that's a great way to uh, uh, get him off the board again uh, to make it that much more shocking when he turns out to be alive and also the killer mm-hmm. the um. When he, I don't know why I thought of this. Uh, I think there's one big mistake in this movie, actually. I mean, it's probably mm-hmm. a nitpick or something. But at the end, when uh, she's, you know, they've won and Billy's laying dead on the floor and Jamie Kennedy's like, get ready for the one last jump scare. And then mm-hmm. he jumps up and then Sydney shoots him and says, not in my movie. Shouldn't, mm-hmm. shouldn't she shoot him before he jumps up and say that? That's actually a pretty good point. Yeah, that... I- I can see why they opted not to do that, but yeah, you would think that that would make more sense. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing they yeah they had him sit up first because it makes her less bloodthirsty. Oh, but yeah, I think the they, joke it, works better if she's just like, no, fuck that. She just shoots. No, the I, agree. I, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I, I think I the joke agree. works better. But yeah, I think they wanted to actually. I. I think it's one of those things where where they get into a uh, uh, a meta chicken and the egg situation, where he sa- where Jamie Kennedy says this is the part where he comes back for one last scare. So is the audience then expecting him not to do that? Mm. So in that case, if they're expecting him not to do that, do we then have to have him do it? Yeah, it's a real mm. blue balls of a situation to just bring it up and not <laughs> not follow through with it. Skeet skeet skeet. Jesus, <laughs> Ulrich, Ulrich, Ulrich. <laughs> What kind of name is that, Skeet Ulrich? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds it sounds fake. What? So I have to ask you, Wes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, when we talked about a Nightmare on Elm Street, you were you you had a lot of thoughts and questions about the concept of people who have sex have to die. Mm-hmm. That that whole trope. How do you feel? How do you feel like that played out? You know, where Sydney does have sex, but she lives. 
I I think it works here actually because he has mm-hmm. sex with her as some sort of psychological. This is what your mother did. Revenge, and mm-hmm. so the sex is actually like weaponized in a way that it's not just like random supernatural killer smells it on you or something and then must kill you. So <laughs> I I like it, and it's also. It's also one of the, you know, the the films just kind of like meta commentary things on like this is always something that we tropally do in these kinds of movies. But I think it Mm -hmm. works because of the way that they set up the mother here is kind of the like, quote unquote, horror character that he's trying to punish. I do. I do find that interesting because I was thinking about that, too, Um, because they they go they go off on on the famously go off on the rules of surviving a horror movie. And, you know, if you have sex, you die. And. Uh, I said in the last episode that I feel like that trope is kind of unf- something that was taken from Friday the 13th specifically and uh, sort of bastardized. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that comes from the, in that movie slash franchise, the villain is very much someone who is going after people who are actively doing that. It's very much a, uh, it's a parent who is going after kids because they're doing things they shouldn't be shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, I think that the inversion works because th- uh that's not the kind of killer that's going after people here. It's very much a uh um it's a peer of of the high school kids. So in that case, having sex shouldn't matter to the to the killer. If you're go if you're mm-hmm. going by this sort of like weird psychoanalytical look at why these rules do and don't apply. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the point of view of the killer is a big one as to why that does does or doesn't matter, and uh, which is why I think it doesn't really matter in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Not, like I said, Nightmare on Elm Street, the series is not a very sexy franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Freddy doesn't generally go after people because they've had sex or something like that. Um, so I think it depends on where the 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 motivation of the killer is kind of coming from. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting that um, this movie, to tie into that, the, this movie, Nev Campbell does not go topless in her sex scene, which is yeah. um, surprising. But it also, I think, makes sense that it's not – it's more mocking the trope than it's actually like – I think I think you could make the argument like you're making, Clay, that Nightmare is more – the sex is part of it is part of like – it's like a – just like a titillating thing to have in a horror movie kind of. And mm-hmm. it just happens that you get killed if you have sex. Here mm-hmm. they have the sex, but they don't make it tit- – it's quite literally not titillating. So yeah. they- <laughs> if, they, if they really wanted to blow that trope out of the water, they should both be butt naked and just like <laughs> go look, into town. Look, Nev Campbell didn't show her tits just like – Jamie Lee Curtis didn't show tits mm-hmm. until, until she, she went, went legit. legit. That's yeah. right. And that, what was that movie called with Kevin Bacon? Is that Nev Campbell? It is Nev Campbell. What's that? Yes. Wild Things. Uh, Wild, Wild Things. things. Yeah. Oh. She does not get naked in that movie. Oh, just uh, I've, Christmas. I've heard. Christmas. I've heard. <laughs> I've studiously observed. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're in a scene with... If, uh, if if you're put in the three way sex scene with Denise Richards, I would be a little bit gun shy to take my top off. Too. That's all I'm saying. Fair, fair, yeah. Wild things. We'll have to cover that at some point. I think. Honestly, okay. That's one of those movies that I remember watching when I was younger because of the reputation that it had. And by the end of it, I was like, "This is a pretty good movie." 
Like aside from the aside from the nudity, this is actually a solid movie. I mean, it, it's kind of a neo noir thriller, isn't it? It's like a detective yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's like Brick, only not quite as good, I guess. So. <laughs> what, what was I talking about with Scream? I've completely forgotten now. What, what were we talking about before this, Billy? I guess. Well, let's just throw it back in. I do one of my actually favorite scenes is the um, when Billy and Stu are stabbing each other. I, I really mm. enjoy that scene. I think that's good. And I think that Matt Lillard really like plays the shit out of that. Like he, he occasionally mm. goes oh, overboard, yeah. but I think that I think his, you cut me too deep. I'm dying here. Just strikes me as very funny. He's, <laughs> he's very funny in that scene. And when he, when he, when he gives him the phone, he just yeah. says on the phone, hello. hello. <laughs> that, that, that's a, a mirror of my, has always been my favorite scene in this, in the movie. First of all, I'd like to talk about before we get to my favorite part. Mm. Um, so Sydney, it it's just it's again it's a, it's an it's an extension of how the parent storyline and the parents in this movie just feel so superfluous because after Sydney gets attacked she goes to stay at Tatum's house mm-hmm. they know what the mo of the killer is at this point that he calls people on the phone <laughs> and Tatum's mom comes in and mm-hmm. goes Sydney there's a telephone call for you and she's like is it my dad she's like no I don't know who it is. <laughs> And then so she goes but over. Here she, it is. Yeah, she picks the phone up. It's the killer, and the, and the mother is completely like, "Oh my god!" So then you know Dewey comes out and his guns out and everything, and then and then everybody leaves, and then Dewey like very seriously goes over and picks up the phone and goes, "Hello," <laughs> and that's just the end of the, that's my favorite part of the movie. Also, I, I would like to say mm-hmm. uh, when she does get attacked in her house. She calls 911 on the computer? <gasps> oh, yeah. my God. Can you do that now? I, my question in all of in my notes, like, the biggest thing I wrote was just, like, did 911 ever work that way? I, if, if they're being accurate, she has to uh, take the phone line out of the wall, hook it up to the extension cable going from her room to, like, the main phone line, mm-hmm. and then wait for AOL to boot up yep, before she in. can type in 911 right. into the AOL. So I don't think you could do that now. I don't think you could I do that I don't think 911 itself had the capability to receive that message. Yeah, I don't think so either. You've got mail. Uh, the, the one thing <laughs> I mean, you've got so an emergency fast. phone call. They, make, they, they go out of their way to show how every house in this movie is, like, in the middle of wine country or something yes, and just yeah. secluded from yeah. everything else. But she types in 911 on the computer, and Dewey is there in, like, 35 seconds. <laughs> you know what the... Um you know, one thing I think that they actually seriously do well, and it's because of that scene, or it reminds me of that scene, is the um, the chase sequences are intense, like a, a nicely intense speed. Like Ghostface is always yeah. just behind her, but they're they're running at full speed, and it's like they. I think they do a really good job of making. I I like the fact that Ghostface is just a, a guy, basically. Yeah. Like they, like there's, he never has any kind of supernatural ability, really. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah, the the one almost supernatural seeming ability he has turns out to be the fact that he's two different people. Right? Yeah, yeah it's too, it, it, he can call or be somewhere else. Yeah, it's sort of the uh, um, it's sort of the running zombie of the 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 slasher genre, huh. where um, the twenty eight days later essentially, zombie. yeah. <laughs> uh, which as soon as that movie came out, I knew every, every the zombies, all the zombies were going to run after that. Um, but it, it was kind of it because the slasher villain very traditionally is a slow again taken from you know Michael Myers but also very much from Friday the 13th very slow lumbering just happens to be there when you need him to be um excuse me a lot of running away 
uh, it's always a surprise very, attack. Is yeah, what it's gets always you. a surprise attack. Mm. But in this one, I mean, even Freddy, Freddy doesn't run. Well, he does in the first one. But <laughs> With really awkwardly. long arms. Yeah. But generally, Freddy, he's a mystical creature, so he can show up wherever he needs to. Right. This one, he actually runs. He's a human who runs at full speed and can attack at full speed. And I think that's what makes him that much scarier is he attacks like a human would attack. Yeah. He doesn't attack like a monster attacks. Really effective sound and editing around the knife swiping and knife sticking yeah. into things. Yeah. They, they really make it feel like yeah. impactful when it hits doors and stuff like that. Yeah. Some good stab sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I, did, did you guys have anything else about it that you were like, I, I, I like the movie. I think that it's interest. It's um, I think it's almost a little bit hamstrung just by. I would almost like to see versions of this that were not just slasher parodies, kind of like mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like it's a little bit limited just because of the fact that it's going off of slasher films, and there's like there's really only so much that you can can do with it. Not that I think the movie drags or anything, but I I almost wish that it was like more all-encompassing of a horror movie. Like it took a lot from a, a lot of bunch of different places and wasn't so uh limited in the scope of what it was doing, although that would probably water down everything and maybe not make it as mm-hmm. cohesive. Well, I think I think it lends itself to that if if you wanted it to in sequels, you know. Scary movies. <laughs> Scary movie one and two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know it. It doesn't necessarily. I mean, you're you're going to you run into Halloween three territory if you make it too different. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think they they could have. Uh. The second one gets kind of weird. I don't know if you guys remember Scream two at all, but there's like this. I don't really remember. I, I I was reading or watching about about that one a bit, and I guess the uh the script was a lot less tight for that one because uh. 30 pages of it got uploaded to the internet like as soon as it was finished. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of scrambling to change stuff. Did someone and accidentally Kevin... dial 911 and it uploaded the entire uh, PDF yeah. of the script? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that did happen on this movie in the Drew Barrymore scene. They forgot to unplug the phone. Oh, so the, 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 when she's calling and screaming <gasps> into 911, she was actually calling oh, the police station. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. that poor person who picked yeah. up that call. Um, but uh, yeah, so Scream 2... The uh, Kevin Williamson was was busy with Dawson's Creek, so he couldn't be there to to do rewrites and stuff. So that it was makes a, a lot of sense that yeah. he worked on Dawson's Creek. Uh, yeah, it's his show. I think he created it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this there is was a lot of like, thing, though. Yeah, yeah. This, this is what broke him into Hollywood. Basically, there's a lo- a lot of stuff done on the fly, and there's like this weird Greek like sp- I don't mean like Greek tragedy and just referential. Like, oh, well, that's like a Greek. Tra-. I'm like literally Greek tragedy elements where. Uh, Sydney's in college and she's in the, the, the drama group and they're doing like this classical Greek play and like the climax takes place like on stage. It's, it's really strange. Hmm. So it, it gets a little bit weird. Um, by the time you get to the fourth one, I watched the fourth one for the first time a couple of years ago. And there are, if I remember correctly, four fake opening sequences in a row. So it's like wow. two girls, being really meta talking about horror movies and then they get killed and then it pulls out and it's two other girls who are no. talking meta about what they just watched and then they get killed no. and it pulls out again and it's a third set of girls who are talking even more meta about everything else that has just happened and that's the beginning of the movie yeah um second yeah, movie kind of gas second movie kind of leans because the second one is it starts with uh people are watching 
the screen or the scream killer has become like a uh, phenomenon. So everyone yeah. in the audience mm-hmm. is wearing the mask, basically. Yeah, they've they've turned Gail's book has been turned into a movie. Right, it's yes. become a, a big hit. <laughs> Honestly, so that was one of the things I found interesting. The two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, one probably we can talk longer about than the other one. Um, the movie, the last person on screen in this movie is Gail. Mm-hmm. It's her doing her news thing at the end. I thought that was a really interesting choice because she's not, it, she's not obviously the main character of the movie. Is that supposed to be some sort of like commentary on, on, on something? I, it's just an odd choice. Do you think there's anything behind that? I mean, I, I, I like it as a choice because so the the actual real life inspiration for this this script in this movie was the Gainesville Ripper. Oh. A a real serial killer in in Gainesville, Florida, who huh. killed five college students in something like 3 days Holy shit. in 1990 and um Kevin Williamson kind of heard about it and it freaked him out so bad that he wrote a movie script in in response to how horrifying that was that, mm. that that this was a real life event and it was huge in the media and i i almost think that this movie in a lot of weird ways kind of prefaces the the current day obsession with true crime and i'm very guilty of this myself in terms of you know true crime tv shows and podcasts and and all of that and how much it's blown up and i think this movie actually examines the role that the media plays in these sorts of events mm. and, and, and how they play out in real life. Um, so I, I think having Gail, because Gail is the one who ultimately saves them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So in, in the end, she's the real, you know, you could say she's the real hero in sure. this because she kills the killer. She's, she's the only reason that Sydney survives this whole ordeal. And so I think kind of having her be the last voice and the last person who you, the last main character you see as the camera pulls out is almost a commentary kind of supporting the, the media coverage of these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is uh, so, sort of talk, circling back just for a second to why there's so much explanation to kind of bolster the story. There's like no character work in this movie at all. <laughs> yeah, like, no. these, these characters are completely empty. Sydney has something. She's got a bit like the stuff with the mom. I think she plays that stuff well. And I think that works well for her mm-hmm. but everybody else is just a complete blank slate it's all performance yeah. the the, the yeah. strength of the character is based entirely on who the actor or actress is playing that oh, person. absolutely oh yeah yeah and i think that's why the middle feels so weird is because they don't do any character work it's just you know trying to get to the get to the ending you know yeah. like there's yeah. that yeah. scene the scene where she gets attacked in the bathroom how long was he waiting in the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> And was he play- like? What was he just hoping? Because yeah. he, there's no way he goes in there between the time that those girls leave and she comes out. Because she comes out at we watch them leave. Yeah, he's just like sitting there, like oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, she's gonna have to pee at some point. But uh, uh, that aside, the other thing that I did want to mention is, um, as far as uh, Sydney goes as a final girl, uh, I think she reminds me a lot of. Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street because she yeah. is so proactive. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think Wes Craven likes plucky brunettes. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> young, young and uh, brunettes is, is Wes Craven's thing. I she um yeah I don't know I I I was trying to look up Last Girl 
thoughts about that. I don't know how I feel about it. Like I, um, it almost kind of fits into me with like the sex thing in these slasher films. It's like, what is this saying kind of, or is it just like a trope that has become so common that I don't think it's really saying anything at this point? Or is it, you know, is it just like, you're supposed to have the girl who does it? Like, cause th- these movies are it, like, it's a fee. Is there any, is there any reason that it's not a female other than to make it seem that the killer could overpower you? Right, like, why, why are yeah. they females then? Is that that's the only reason, right? It's because if this was a guy, it would be more of a less of a chase thing and more of like a like a, a fight or a brawl or something. Like, mm. am I just is that the only reason to have a female do it? Or is there supposed to be some unless, other thing that's going on? Unless you're Ash Williams and your entire character is that you're a huge wimp, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of why, which is kind of why Ash is the way he is in the Evil Dead movies is because they they wanted him to be essentially a, a male final girl type where he's just like with in in that he seems like he should be mm. be able to stand up but he doesn't and right. he just wants nothing to do with any of this yeah. <laughs> and this movie comments on it because they, as you were saying that the killers make the point of like a woman couldn't be the killer because right. this is like mm-hmm. this needs the strength of a, like the male sex basically to yeah. like to finish it off well, and stuff you know it's i've 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 always had interesting thoughts about this because horror movies were a very male dominated genre up until probably the late sixties. Um, you mean like in terms the of the early, characters or yeah, like yeah. the, it was, it was very much more action angled. So yeah. like even in your, your original universal monster movies, the heroes were generally men who were saving yeah. women. Yep. Uh, you get into the fifties and it's usually men saving women from giant ant, you know, monsters and mm-hmm. shit. And it's not until you get into your Texas Chainsaws and your Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist that it kind of swings back the other way. And ever since then, horror has been a very female-led genre. Mm. And yeah. I think it's 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 interesting. I I've, I find the whole final girl thing very fascinating because it's very often looked upon as a negative and very degrading. But I think you can also read it as these movies are about women who are perceived to be without power. Yeah. Um, finding the power. Yeah, yeah. Finding the power to defeat a negative element, which is almost entirely always male. Yeah. But there's also something more believably terrifying about a female victim. Sure. Like, there's that famous Margaret Atwood quote, which is, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and and that's should I, should I not laugh at that? I mean, <laughs> no, it's a very laugh. good it's a Margaret good quote. Yeah. Hilarious. She, she's brilliant. Um, but but I think that's part of why having the female victim and and the final girl becomes compelling because all I don't want, I can't say all women, but I would say a lot of women who watch this relate to the idea of you know you're being stalked. There's some there's a male presence. At some point in your life, even if it's just one night when you're walking down the street and some guy f- tries to follow you mm-hmm. back to your car, like, and and it's terrifying because you feel helpless and you feel vulnerable. And then I also think it's really terrifying for a lot of men because a lot of men feel traditionally very responsible in terms of protecting the women in their lives, their mm-hmm. mothers, their sisters, their wives, their daughters. They feel like it's their responsibility to be a bulwark against threats 
towards these women. So it, it, it's men in these movies are generally fairly ineffective. Right. It's like they, they are very frequently put in that sort of position and then very quickly killed. Yeah, like, well, like, well, like, look, in this movie, look at Randy. Yeah. Randy clearly is is infatuated with Sydney. Mm-hmm. Like he's really into her. And, and and he just wants her to like him and he wants her attention, but he also wants to protect her. Like he stays in the, at this house where people are being brutally murdered, knowing that he can't really physically stand up to this killer, mm-hmm. but he wants to try to protect her. And so I think that, you know, having the final girl trope plays into that for both sexes. The, um, it's funny, it ties into the, you were talking about just like the, the female fear of being stuck is females have, um, mm-hmm. The additional fear that females have that males do not have is rape. Is or this going to turn assault. into a stand-up routine, Wes? <laughs> it's, I've, been, I've been working on. It's, so, uh, what's the deal with women? <laughs> what's the deal with women walking down? The women alone? drive like this, <laughs> but like, sorry, that, I cut that, you off. It, it, um, I guess it could somehow dovetail into the the sex aspect of these slashers, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they they kind of. They kind of switch the rape fear into just straight up being murdered in these mm. movies. Like they don't they the the pursuit is I don't know like the sexuality or something like really just kind of hides into that or something. But I, yeah, the the monsters are very rarely sexual monsters. Yeah, it's very it's it's for as as brutal as they are, and I think we you know I think Nightmare on Elm Street kind of falls under this category. They they're very rarely sexual. Like Jason is not a sexual monster. Billy is. Billy is. Yeah. Billy absolutely is. I think that's part of the reason why I find him actually a really compelling villain and so unsettling, even when he's playing nice guy, Mm -hmm. is that he's very much a sexual predator in addition to being a psychopathic murderer. And there's that moment where after uh, he and Stu have sort of revealed themselves as, as we are the killers and he's got. Sydney, he's like holding her in front of him and he's got the knife up to her and he's like rubbing his face in her hair yeah. and he's got his eyes closed. He's like breathing into her ear. It's very clearly for him very much a sexual thing. Yeah. And he raped her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of puts, puts Which that I feel like it's monster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's not really emphasized. Yeah. Slasher much. killers very rarely rape people. You know, the, yeah. uh, now that I'm thinking about it, the last literally thing, anyway. The last girl thing is kind of funny because it's kind of a it might be one of those things where the the trope exists, but it's just like the culture that exists around it really shades what's going on. So you start off movies, mm, right, definitely. as you say, yeah, Clay, where so. women are not in the movies because cinema was mostly, you know, it's going to be male dominated in that kind of action sense at that point. Then you move into the Chainsaw Massacre stuff, which is like, hey. Uh, women have boobies, and if they run, they yeah. jiggle. So let's yeah, yeah. film. It's, it's, let's, it's titillating. Yeah. Right. Let's, I mean, <laughs> let's film that. And then it moves into the 90s where it's now metacontextual feminist takes on it. You know, so they're like mm. the, the women become empowered by this, and the, the, the storyline is driven more off of that angle than anything. It might just be one of those cases where it's always been the same thing, but however the culture exists outside of it, colors what you think of it. Yeah. yeah and I think there's been an evolution in terms of like, form and and theme in you Mm. know kind of there are more opportunities to have women characters that are more actual characters not just a damsel in distress and not just kind of a girl who's destined to to die and like squirm around in a bikini while she does it um i would like to say that even though i i do find something potentially empowering about the final girl thing 
I do recognize that in order to get there, you usually have to go through a lot of bouncing boobs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, yeah. not, it's not like each one of these things is a – each one of these movies is like a, an essay about female empowerment. It's, it's, like, it's like that football practice thing where you're just running into the pads. It's just boobs everywhere. Yeah. Just run. God. <laughs> and good night. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think, I think more, recent, more recent horror movies have been sort of pivoting away from that need. You mm. know, we've been seeing more things like The Babadook and Hereditary yeah. Yeah. where mm. there are female characters who are very, very important to the plot. And they're not really sexualized. Babadook is way. great. Babadook is like yeah, the Babadook's perfect awesome. new Good. female take on a horror movie, which is to hate Midsummer your child, too. basically, oh, which is like really fascinating. I have not seen yeah, Midsummer, Midsummer yet. was great. I like oh, Midsummer a lot. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play a final clip. And we'll come back and give our final thoughts about Scream. Corn syrup. Same stuff they use for pig's blood and carry. <laughs> Surprise, Sydney. Oh, no. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. Why are you doing this? It's all part of the game, Sydney. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! Fuck you! I'll end this just by saying, well, my point of view anyway. Um, it's interesting when you see directors, when we do these kind of things for directors and we watch th- three of their movies, um, some directors have careers and I'm not sure why. And that sounds really insulting, but like, <laughs> no, I know what you mean. <laughs> like, like if, if I was, if I was a big fan of Wes Craven, right. Or like if I was in Hollywood and I was an executive casting or picking a director for my movie, I don't think Craven would pop into my mind. As someone that'd be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like set the like do a real barn burner here. I was reading something that they liked Wes Craven's sense of humor. They thought that he mixed mm. humor and mm. horror really well. And we've we talked about that before. We even did Scream about he's fairly effective at doing that. But at the same time, he's not really like a stylist of a director that I'd be like, no. I got to get Wes Craven. Like this thing is not going to work <laughs> without Wes Craven. I feel like you could have done Scream with a lot of directors like Raimi could have done it and things like yeah. that. So it's interesting to me that Craven has built this career and he's obviously hugely influential in everything. And I don't think he's a bad director, but he's not, he's, he's a workman director more than anything. Mm. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. I think I said something along those lines in vampire in Brooklyn, where I, when I think of Wes Craven, I don't think of visual style. I don't, I, I don't think I don't look at a movie and go, Oh, this must be a Wes Craven movie. Like mm-hmm. I, th- there's, for whatever reason, yeah, he's very much a workman style director. And I, I was list, I was watching a uh, um, red letter media review of Scream Four, and one of the guys said something that was was pretty dead on, which is Wes Craven movies are either really good or really bad. Mm-hmm. And when he hits it, he knocks it out of the park generally. But when he doesn't, then they're they're pretty rough. Um, and I think what makes him, unfortunately. In the horror genre, what makes you a master and what makes you like someone that people talk about and you come back to is you have more than one good movie. Doesn't have to be more than two, but it's generally more than one. 
You know, because like a lot of these guys, you know, George Romero, uh, John Carpenter probably has the best batting average out of a lot of these guys. But, probably. Uh, that's even that's debatable on what you consider to be a quote unquote good movie. I think watching I think watching the, these have elevated Halloween for me. Halloween is like yeah. a, a more mm. um, Halloween has like a cinema style to it. Like it's, sure. it's it's very much a movie that he also has this idea to do. And I think it's really clever. Yeah. 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 yeah it has an ambiance to it. Yes, in a way um, that Nightmare doesn't, I don't think, and Scream doesn't really. Like, how, there's something, like, it's not all jump scares in Halloween. Like, that thing where Myers comes out right. of the shadows and his face is there. There's a lot of those moments where he's just sort of lingering in the background or outside of windows. But um, I I would just like to say, I think I said this some or something like this when we talked about Nightmare Before uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare, Nightmare Before Elm Street. <laughs> a Nightmare Before Elm Street. Um. I think Wes Craven's strength is that he was really excellent at tapping into the style of the day. Sure. Like, like, I mean, he was almost 60 years old when he made Scream. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Which that's is pretty impressive. Like, yeah. like I, I know there's writers and, and, and all sorts of other folks who contributed and, and did a ton of work on it, but he was still the director. And I think he captured that sort of mid nineties teen vibe really accurately in a way that is unexpected from like a 58 year old dude. Yeah. Mm. I think, I think just generally his horror movies work because he gets it. Like he understands the genre. That's why he can invert it. So or subvert it so well. Yeah. Uh, like he knows what back in his first movies, he knows what works there to get a rise out of people. Nightmare on Elm street. He took everything that had come before it and kind of put, turned it on its head. And that's what he did in Scream as well. He he just he understands it, and I think he. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think he was kind of bored by it because uh, yeah. he even turned this movie down at first because he didn't want to do another horror movie. And he had just um, done Vampire before this too. He's yeah. Like, I'm, like, and I'm done and with uh, <laughs> new nightmare. Um, new nightmare. Yeah. Oh right. And right, so right. I think he just was. I, I believe he was kind of bored with the genre, but I think that's because he just knows how to do it very effectively. Whether or not it's an A plus. Every time, I don't know, but he knows how to get us pretty solid, scary movie out. Of yeah, it. he's like he's like a mimic, like like he can sort of mimic and inhabit the trends and, and the tropes and the themes and especially whatever's pertinent right now. But but he doesn't have that unique like stand out, mm. stand on its own style. Right. I think that's what I um. I think that's kind of how I think about Workman when I would describe him because. To me, Scream was a success because of the script. Like, I think a lot of yes. people could have directed mm-hmm. this movie, and yeah. it would have, been, would have been fine in anybody's hands. I don't think Craven is really the reason that this was pushed over the edge. He probably helped it. He made like the the mix a little bit better. But I think the <laughs> script is really what changed things for these kinds of movies at that point. So it's he's workman in that he. I think if you give Craven a good script, he has places to go with it, but he's not going to save a bad script. He's not that kind of a director. Sure. Yeah. Fair. I would agree with that. You guys have any final thoughts before we're done? Um, my only final thought is, uh, you know, for a series that was started off as something very subversive and very um, sharp in its uh, meta-ness, it never really manages to keep that going through the series, and I know obviously we didn't watch the other movies, but from what I from what I remember of them, it just keeps turning the camera in on itself. Mm. And like I would have liked to have seen, as it goes on, take a look at how 
the like you were saying how how uh the approach to some of this kind of stuff has changed or uh whether that's horror or the way people uh take in violence in general instead of just sort of becoming an in joke on top of an in joke and i wish some stuff had changed like i wish they had done one where the killer actually you couldn't kick his ass mm. like that was the big <laughs> yeah. change is that in this one he was actually really effective because <laughs> then yeah, he would be scary again job. you know yeah, yeah he was actually again. good at his job uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's one of those series that I, I wish, I think as it went on, had a little bit more, uh, uh potential to be continually biting in its satire. Unfortunately, uh, didn't go that way. Hmm. Amanda. I feel like this movie is an excellent time capsule. Like w- watching this will make you, if you were alive in 1996 and you remember anything around that time. Watching this movie will bring you right back to whatever you were doing around mm-hmm. that time, whether or not you want to remember it. Straightening um, your bangs. Just hours of bang straightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, painting your nails with glitter nail polish because you're... Yeah. Um, All of my shoes were plastic and see-through. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting on an inflatable chair while I watched this. Um, L- laughing at David Arquette. Just laughing, oh laughing at I just have to say, I remember thinking he looked so old Don't when I... I first watched this movie. Like, I remember thinking that David Arquette looked extraordinarily old, like him him and Courtney Cox. They looked super old. And now I watch this movie and I think the two, of them, the two of them look really young and then a bunch of the like yeah. friends look very old. I don't, I don't think anybody in this is a convincing teenager. These 47-year-olds who are, who are running around even, pretending they're in high school. Even at the time, I remember thinking, there's no way Rose McGowan is like 17. Yes, yeah, yeah Rose McGowan sticks out. I had a funny thing with Amy. Amy always does this, but she has, it's the perfect movie for it. She's, um So we're watching it and uh, Courtney Cox and Arquette have their first scene together. And she's like, oh, she's like, this is where they met and fell in love. I'm like, yep. No, we sit there quiet for a minute. She's like, you think they're still, uh, she's like, are they still married? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, Amy, she's always very no. interested in like the, uh, the relation, the relationship of like, uh, how they how the relationship is going for a celebrity, like as they were in a movie and now, uh, you're unsure where they are, but I always think it always strikes me as very funny to be concerned about whether or not they're still married, but it strikes <laughs> but me they actually, something. they actually had really good chemistry. Like in that, in yeah. that scene where they end up, they, they're sort of almost like driven off the road by the teenagers driving yep. by yep. and, and I actually found that very endearing and it's very clear that they had like genuine chemistry together. Mm. Interesting pair. What a, what a strange yeah. pairing. Of celebrity. Very this is, unusual. This is not the, uh, what is that? What is that? I couldn't think, I can't think of that horrible uh, Team Z, right? This is not a Team Z podcast yeah. or anything like that, but we'll we'll end it there, I guess. <laughs> We're done with Scream. We did Wes Craven. We covered Vampire in Brooklyn at 10%. We covered Nightmare on Elm Street, which is 94%, and Scream, which is 79%. So there you go. That was, that was our discussion of Scream. Amanda... Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the placement of Scream on this list? It's number 175. Do you think it should be higher? Do you think it should be lower? I think it should be higher. Yeah. It's just, it's so, for as much as I kind of was giving some crap about that blurb and it talking about like, ooh, revitalize the genre, it kind of did. So I I think it's, its impact on horror through the 90s and the early aughts was big enough that I, I think it should be higher. It spawned a parody franchise like it became so ubiquitous yeah. <laughs> that not only <laughs> did they point. make a parody of it but that parody extended itself into a franchise of that parody they made right. five it, it, scary movies 
Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it became its own franchise and then it spawned a parody that also spawned a franchise and it also spawned copycats like crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it, uh, horror was kind of dead in the nineties and it really just, uh, it really brought things back with a bit of a, a bit of a twist to it, but I don't think that can be. Would you say it brought it back from the grave? Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> I don't think that can really be understated, though, with this, because uh, it, yeah. it really did kind of bust things open um, and is and yeah. is still referenced today. So I, I do think it should be higher, especially on the list where it is. It's kind of wedged in. It's it's in a weird place. Um, your next, which we talked about last time, is actually higher than this. Which oh, is surprising, yeah. Because I would say I liked your next, but I think this has a lot more cultural zeitgeist attached to it than your next did. So, yeah, I would actually argue that your next kind of owes a little bit to Scream. Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, this as we as we decided already, this list is questionable at best. <laughs> so we've yep. uh, we've come up on. I'm doing a little bit of creative math here because we mm-hmm. did we switched our wild card and our uh, Christmas episode, so we did the Christmas one and then the wild card. It should have been vice versa, uh, but I'm now in my head switching them back. So we are now on our fifth movie because I want to make sure that we keep these things relatively. Uh, I'm bad at close math. to the fives. Yeah, I'm bad at math, so I want to keep them as close to the fives as possible. So we're up on our next wild card pick, which is yours, Amanda. What do you got for us? I want us to do the movie from 2016, A Dark Song. Ooh, I don't know that one. Yeah, it's weird. What's, uh, can you give me a one line breakdown of what it is? Or is it better that uh, I go in not knowing? Well, I can tell you that it is an Irish independent horror movie. Okay. uh, About a woman and a man in a very remote house. You know what? I think I did see this movie actually, now that I'm looking it up. <laughs> see, I, I didn't want to say too much, but it, it, I kind of was wondering, I was like, if he, if he did see this, he'll probably know just from like vaguely United Kingdom, Irish actors. I wasn't sure until you said two people in a remote house. And I'm pretty sure yeah. I did watch this. Okay. That's going to be interesting. No. Yeah. It's definitely, I, I like it. I'm very curious. I, I haven't rewatched it in a while, and I'm very curious to do so, and I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it. I am too, because if this is the movie I think it is, I did not like it the first time I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the beginning of Amanda's wild cards that Clay hates. Hey, I'm 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 more than happy to to, to get into it because that's what that's what I want to do. All see right, stuff. See stuff it. that I, I I'm not. Um, immediately prone to find on my on my own so all for it well well you're welcome anyway that's gonna do it for scream thank you guys for for joining us if you like what you heard if you want to give us a rating review on itunes that would be great uh amanda thank you for joining me of course thank you clay and we will see you next time with a dark song bye everyone bye